Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as all the insight analysis on the subjects that you're discussing in football. Joining me, I am very, very delighted to say, is, as always, Duncan Castles, and also football correspondent of the Sunday Times, Jonathan Norcroft, who is live from Prague, uh, where England, of course, are playing in the European Championship qualifiers. We have some news for you, breaking, as we like to do, and that is, uh, we talked about on Wednesday's podcast that there uh, was a scheduled discussion between... Uh, Manchester United's uh, leading um, executives, as well as the Glazer family, regarding Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future. And the information we have is that the outcome of that is Solskjaer will be given time uh, to continue in the job. However, his position is very much being monitored on a game-by-game, result-by-result basis. Uh, the reason for that being, of course, that the, he has um, overseen the worst start to a league season in 30 years for the club. Um, and Glazers themselves are worried um, that this could get worse rather than better. Duncan, um, you've had time to mull over that kind of um, run results as well as the fact that the Glazers have made a point of reviewing the start of the season for Solskjaer, um, would you consider it to be something which is going to be acted upon quickly or do you think uh, he will be given more than a month? We spoke about the graveyard time uh, regarding international breaks, but do you think that the Liverpool game coming up and obviously games subsequent to that, he might be allowed to at least preside over them? As we talked about in the podcast, he's got a very dangerous set of fixtures coming up, a lot of difficult away games and hasn't won an away game for a a huge length of time. Um, Just two wins in the last 13 Premier League matches. really doesn't come as any surprise that the Glazers are um, now expressing concerns internally about Solskjaer's um, stewardship of the the club. Um, It's always been the case that... uh, when matters get particularly difficult for Ed Woodward, um, historically he has gone and, and changed the manager. Uh, so the, the, that this discussion has taken place and that um, Solskjaer's position is under review on a game-by-game basis it comes as no surprise uh, to me. Um, and, uh, and I think, yes, uh, as you say, the Liverpool game coming up uh, is a particularly difficult one for Solskjaer because given the way the two teams are playing at the moment, um, given that it's Old Trafford, you, it's not hard to envisage a, um, 
a Liverpool win and it's not too hard to envisage a comprehensive Liverpool win and uh, were that to happen I think it would be very difficult um, for Solskjaer and Woodward um, and the Glazers um, because uh, I think Manchester United supporters are already in the main very concerned about this situation but uh, to face um, such a difficult game and 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 end up being potentially end up being embarrassed in that game could uh, could be very uh, I think decisive in this process. With very much his ear to the ground with regards to um, Manchester United and and Solskjaer as well for that matter. Um, we spoke before in the podcast that um, you have interviewed him on a couple of occasions and found him to be uh, a very um, personable and intelligent person as a coach. Mm. What would be your perspective regarding, um, let's just say, put yourself in his shoes almost mm. and say, if you're Solskjaer, what's going to change for you in the next four weeks, which is going to make your job safe? Mm, I feel very sorry for Ollie. That's that. That'd be the that'd be the first thing to say. And and what's going to change? You'd have to say that the 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 the, the season so far doesn't suggest there are any signs of that change. Um, and I feel that that's as much as anything because he's trapped, and he's trapped in the same way that that previous managers have been trapped by, um, you know, a club that thinks it's got a plan, but doesn't actually know how to execute it properly. And the manager's a guy put in the middle of that and um, and is hampered uh, in, in being able to realise that plan. You know, we, we've seen different managers, very different managers, four very different managers post-Fergie now, all representing a certain package of skills or, or, or package of qualities that were attractive to United at the time and all being sort of builders spearheading a particular way that United are going to do things and, and I think arriving and, and, and initially thinking that that was going to be the case but then finding that because the club on top of the manager just isn't up, isn't fit for purpose in my opinion, isn't run properly, doesn't have the vision um, they find themselves hampered by that. So without going over all ground about what happened to Moyes, Mourinho and, and, and Van Gaal, I think what's happened to Oli is he's being asked to to reboot Manchester United um, using young players in United ways. Fine. Um, but the reality is that he's being asked to to do that with without really a dynamic um, programme of recruitment. You know, three reasonable recruits, you could argue, but but nothing like the set of top young... If it's going to be rebuilding through youth, you'd expect them to have then gone out and, and acquired people like Jaden Sancho and Declan Rice and so on in the summer. And the thing that really strikes me for Ollie is, you know, and I wrote about this at the weekend, if the wheeze is, the latest wheeze at United is, we're going to go back to development, we're going to go and rebuild through youth, Development has been the thing that United have been worst at in the last 10 years. You know, their youth system has been really poor compared to rivals. You know, second division of the under-23 league, not past the Youth Cup semi-final, uh, quarter-final, not even in the Youth Cup quarter-final, sorry, for eight or nine years. You know, poorly represented in England age group squads. Man, United, Man City and Chelsea, far better at, at youth. You know, Arsenal, Liverpool, better at youth. And it's like, it, it's classic modern United that they've actually chosen the thing that they're worst at to try and be the tool for, for the rebooting. And, and Ollie's fronting it. And, and just like 
Mourinho was compromised, just like Moyes was compromised. He's finding that he's trying to spearhead a plan that that I don't think is being properly realised by the people around him. And, and it's looking increasingly like, like those previous managers. He's going to end up being the fall guy for it because, as you said, Duncan, and, and, and you've mentioned Ian, you know, it's almost like there's an Edward Wood protocol now for these situations where um, things start to go wrong. Um, the mood music changes a little bit. The conversations take place and they start backing gently away from the man that they were um, trying to support previously. And, and it just seems like we might be at the beginning of that process now where they're backing away a little bit. I, thought, I think um, it was a very interesting briefing that came out of Manchester United um, on Thursday, uh, which was kind of this, this wish yeah. list description of what they want their reboot to be. Um, just mm. read it out. We have to win trophies. We have to play attacking dynamic football with X-factor players. And we have to give youth a chance. And it, it just <laughs> comes... Which one is it? <laughs> well, yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Let's throw in every buzzword we can and um, uh, and, and maybe have a, a reality TV competition thrown in there too, just to add, <laughs> do, add to the commercial Do we value. even believe, Duncan, that um, Fergie would watch The X Factor and know <laughs> what, what that even meant? Um I, I, I like to think he didn't ever watch The X Factor and wouldn't ever watch The well, X Factor, but I I'll, I'll, so I'll like turn that one to the Aberdonian expert there to, to <laughs> perhaps perhaps Johnny has an inside line on, on Fergus TV habits. <laughs> he's got ve- he's got very decent taste in music. Uh, he, he's a bit of a singer, Fergie. I remember he used to come down the corridor singing sort of 1950s film tunes and stuff like that. Not a bad voice, actually. So I'd, I'd hope that uh, his, his taste might be better than The X Factor. <laughs> but it's interesting Duncan you mentioned the briefing and that's when I said backing away what 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 I I was I was very interested in that briefing as well and and what what I think I sort of what struck me about it was there was a little bit of a, a change in the music and, and that was that the briefing suddenly is all about Manchester United's great plans and the great processes they've got in place and we signed Wan-Bissaka because we had 30 different options and 15 analysts <laughs> looking at it. And suddenly it's becoming about Manchester United, the, the club that Edward was built and, and the, the briefing's starting to move, you know, the, it's moving a little bit away from the manager and that, that's what really struck me. It's, it, yes, it was a bit of a kind of, oh, we're going to support Oli even if we lose to Liverpool, but very quickly, the stuff about oh, eight signings in January and, and, you know, this is how good the recruitment process is. And that, that's a little thing that interests me that suddenly they're starting to talk about the club beyond the manager. Um, yeah. And I'd ask why. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Do we think, gentlemen, that Solskjaer will get this transfer window to try and reshape the team and rebuild the club? I think the intention at the moment is still yes. Um, I think I think you know that that is the that is still the plan. Um, but if it, it if it keeps going like it is, they they they'll change and they've done it before. You know that that that's that that's what history tells us with with these owners and this chief exec. I think what uh, Johnny's just pointed out about that briefing is important here. I think they have. Uh, convinced themselves that they are now very good at recruitment 
Um, we've had a number of briefs about the how, how successful the summer transfer window was. And yes, Solskjaer was mentioned in some of those, but I think uh, they now feel that they've got that side of it sorted and they've got credit from the fans. And therefore, they can go ahead with um, this recruitment strategy, the, you know, the 75 scouts watching a player 150 times and building up a 10-man list with multiple analytical checks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't really manager who, uh, matter who the manager will be. Um, so they can do that. And uh, should results continue as they have been, then... Um, Willy Gunnar Solskjaer will be the, the sacrificial uh, Norwegian goat um, who's uh, set aside so that the um, the transfer strategy is seen as being successful and they can get a new man in to, um, to improve the results uh, to give them credit for that again. Try and be remiss of us not to um, take in the fact that you are live in Prague and obviously with the England squad and you have been this week um, I think we had a bit of a surprise in the last round of um, fixtures where the defence was a bit shaky. I think that's a bit of an obvious, if not mm-hmm. understated way to put it. Um, looks like Svetskate's going to stand by um, his men, as it were, uh, in terms of the defenders. Um, however, uh, qualification looks like a bit of a cakewalk for them um, as it always does for England um, what's your feeling with regards to um, England's ambitions outside of qualification because obviously um, semi-final of the World Cup etc etc um, for Euro 2020 um, do you feel like the ambition is uh, is there and very steadfast with regards to um, going on better yeah, very much so, and I think I'm I think I'm in the minority actually because most most colleagues I think and I, I, as far as I can see, uh, fans would say that England the line seems to be that England have continued to improve. Um, you know, since the World Cup, it's been a you know it's a better England team now. It's a continuous improvement, and it was semi finals last time. I actually I actually don't think England are in quite as good a shape now as they were a year ago. Um, I think people think they've improved because there's been this great um, progress made in the attacking side of things. Undoubtedly true. Raheem Sterling maturing, um, uh, you know, Tammy Abraham emerging as a backup to Harry Kane, Hudson Adoy, um, Jaden Sancho, and Mason Mount, and blah blah blah. You know, and that's undoubtedly true. And, and, and you know, the Chelsea kids are playing. That's fantastic. But you mentioned the defence, and that's where I, th- I think you know while they've taken a step forward at, at the top end of the pitch, um, they're seriously weaker at the back than they they were. The Kosovo game it was a surprise how bad they were, but it wasn't actually that different to how they defended against Holland in the Nations League, which um, was was you know an, a, a real real underperformance in a big game in a, in, in a sort of quasi-tournament which was alarm bells for me and I just think they're in crisis at the back I think you know John Stones was who they were building around in Russia he's dropped off a cliff he's injured of course at the moment um, Kyle Walker can't get in the squad um, yes Trent Alexander-Arnold's brilliant but he's, he's, he's still young and he's, he's still got a bit of work defensively Jordan Pickford's gone backwards 
Ben Chilwell's got a lot to learn. I don't think he's quite as as uh, quite as ready as or quite as finished as people think he is. So uh, and and then you know Declan Rice, who I'm a big fan of, is still a kid and and he's protecting all. And I, I just think that experience tells me that in tournaments tend to be won by the teams who, who defend the best. France were that in in the World Cup in Russia, and and I think England have gone have gone backwards. And what they what was the foundation in Russia was actually that kind of stodgy 3-5-2, which was, you know, basically hard to penetrate. And that was, you know, set pieces on top of that. I think that's gone. Yes, they can attack brilliantly. Um, they're much better to watch, but I'm not sure if they're fitter to win a tournament than, than they were in Russia. But that's maybe the, the negative Scottish observer in the camp. And maybe my uh, English colleagues are better place than me to be optimistic you're being hard on yourself there Johnny I haven't been in your position for many years as well I know what it's like to have to judge an England squad in a tournament and I'm generally speaking and I say this because I think it's important for the listeners out there to know that we're not biased we we genuinely you know judge England on their uh, positives and negatives. So therefore, it's not the case that you know we want them to lose or anything else. Uh, but but Duncan, um, we have did a lot of analysis on specifically Harry Maguire on the podcast, um, and we have found faults with him which are fairly fundamental. Um, I think in the Kosovo game, as Johnny made reference to. Um, were particularly bad uh, with regards to him and Michael Keane. Do we really believe that those guys are going to be able to cope with? Um, let's not let's 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 look ahead because we know they're going to qualify for the twenty twenty finals. But do we think that that's a defence which can lead England to a European Championship? final and possibly a win of a European Championship final? Well, I think with Maguire, it's going to be interesting to see how his form and his travails and the sort of extra exposure he has at Manchester United affects him for England. I think Johnny's absolutely right that um, John Stone's regression is, um, is a major fault uh, a major problem for England because he's the the guy with the pace and um, the most technically able of those defenders. So if Stones remains sidelined by injury and form, um, they're going to have to find someone else um, to provide the pace to cover for Maguire, um, so they can make the most of Maguire's aerial ability and his um, and his confidence um, passing out from the back. I mean, we've talked in the podcast about the the major positive which is that they have a better group of players in terms of technical quality than I've ever seen um, with England and I'm interested in you know in Johnny's view obviously they have the the advantage here of essentially a home um, tournament so I'm interested in, in Johnny's view of whether that will be will turn out to be the advantage we expect it to be or whether it will invoke extra pressure and if this European Championship isn't the time for England with the group of players that they have and the, and the direction of travel of the squad and the management 
do you see them getting into the position where they could well, let's let's not go as far as win a tournament but get to the final of a of a major tournament in the next uh well in these next three attempts so this euros next world cup and the euros after that yeah i mean i mean they they are um they are almost as good as anyone else. I'm not sure if they're quite as good as anyone else, but they, yeah, I mean, if they, they it's always the same with England that, you know, the, the law of averages tells you that they should be in a final at some point. They, they, they're good enough. They've been good enough for, you know, 20 years. I mean, gosh, longer since Euro 96, they've been good enough. Um, and various things have gone wrong. Um, they've got, you're right about that. This is a very technically adept probably more tactically adept as well, England, than yeah, for a long yeah. time. Um, they're also a decent group in terms of the, the, you know, the, the, the cohesion, the, the squad harmony, all that sort of stuff. And I, I think, I think playing at home will help them. It's helped them before. Um, and not least, you know, we always overlook it, but actually the weather helps, you know, mm. it, that, that'll help England and, and they will, I think they will respond. They, they'll, they'll embrace it. Um, so they've, they, you know, they've, they've got the chance, definitely. Um, but I, I, I just, I just come back to what I saw in the Nations League when I just thought it was a great opportunity for England to. I know it wasn't, you know, it, it's not a major tournament, a quasi tournament, but it was a chance just to slightly kind of get the monkey off the back and and win something. You know, it wouldn't have meant a massive amount, but it would have meant something. And I just felt that the way they actually underperformed and found a stupid way to, to, to mess up that Holland game was very England in the later stages of a tournament and, and did raise a question mark that, you know, despite everything, have they really gone that further forward or are we just in the same cycle of expectancy and disappointment again? Right. Well, Gareth Southgate, I believe, was very unhappy with the, the preparation of, of some mm. of his key players going into that mm. tournament, which is which again is um I think very England that the mm. the players put in club and uh prioritizing themselves over um as you say, a good opportunity for them to win a title, which I think if they had won they would have made a great deal out of mm. um and could have used as a platform going forward. Definitely, definitely. And they didn't quite arrive. You know, it's, it's that thing about, yeah, arriving at the end of a season. They're just not very good at doing it. They're tired or their minds aren't quite on it or, or, or you know, other things. But they're just not very good at, 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 you know, getting to June and being the England that we always see in the autumn. You know, I think previous managers have talked about it. England, the, the autumn champions, aren't they? The September <laughs> kings, of, kings of world football, but never in June. Johnny, very, very pertinent question here. Is there a way that Vardy versus Rooney could be used to motivate <laughs> the England squad? <laughs> I think uh, they could get Colleen in to devise the uh, the tactical... Well, you mean Wagatha Christie? Or Wagnum PI, I think, was the other one, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she could, she, yeah, she could probably come in and find a way to ensnare the opposition couldn't she um, well I let's mean, hope so <laughs> it, it, it's just a, I mean what a story it would have been if they were both still in the England camp that would have been you know we'd have been going back to the, the, the halcyon days Ian that you and I you know remember from 2006 and so on oh mate well you know what 
I was gonna, I'm going to bring up in the quick fire round later, but let's just you know keep that <laughs> under wraps for now. Johnny, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, and and rightly so, about the issue of racism and racist chanting um, at players during these qualification games. Um, England faced Bulgaria on Monday, where it's a partially closed stadium for that very reason. But there's also um, a very um, realistic and uh, practical risk that that may happen again in Prague when uh, the Czech Republic facing a lot of England players have already spoken about the um, proposition that they will leave the pitch um, and follow the protocol of UEFA, which is a three-stage protocol, one where um, a warning is given through the um, tannoys at the um, stadium, and then uh, there will be a consultation with the match officials, etc., etc., um, when you're covering a game like this, how how much does that play in your mind? Because it has to be the case that you're thinking. Um, and again, I'm I'm just being is this hypothetical, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the the game might not actually finish because of this. Aye, aye, and 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 of course, you know, it it, it can be hard at a game to be fully aware of everything that's going on in the stands as well as on the pitch. It's, it, it's a bit of an information overload sometimes. Um, it's a challenge, but you know, I spoke to Emil Heskey recently about, I remember there was a game, I don't know if you were there, in Bratislava, which is not too far away from from here. And um, Remember it well? Uh, yeah, and, and <laughs> the, the, I think Ashley Cole, Emil, and and I can't remember, there was another, there was another black player who was... Who was targeted as well um and you know the, he, he just talked about his kind of utter incomprehension that you know is, is this really happening? think it was 2010 but is this is this really is this really what's happening at the moment and um i, I yeah i i think we are obviously we've moved on um not quite far enough and at some point some team is going to walk off so at some point some team is going to invoke the protocol and I think it might very well be England because there's, if, if there's if there's a nation that probably is doing best in domestic football to at least try and discuss and address these issues it probably is England and if there's a group of players that are empowered by their manager enough um, it's probably this this English group with, with, with Gareth Southgate being I think speaking so well and thinking so well about these issues so um, I'm not Saying it's going to happen tomorrow night or even in Bulgaria, but it, 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 someone's going to do it, and 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 you know, it'll it'll be. I, I'm finding it hard. I almost like I don't want to sound like I'm wanting it to happen. I don't want it to happen at all, you know. But I, I would like to. I'd like someone to stand up to the racism we see, um, still see routinely from the stands and. In certain parts of the world, towards black players, and if England were the ones to do it, then you know, I'd 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 welcome it because this group of players are strong enough to do it and and empowered enough to do it, and have got the leadership of of, of Gareth and players within the group like Raheem Sterling to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it it's something we're all very aware of and alert to over the next two games. Duncan, we're very we're very aware of the um. Uh, 
the rights and wrongs of this kind of behaviour. Um, let's, if we talk about logistics, though, um, is there a? a I know I, I don't even want to bring this up because it, it seems to be unfair. But is there a possibility that if England are winning in mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in Prague, that the fans then decide to make racist chants in order to get the game abandoned and therefore challenge UEFA's rules regarding what the result and the outcome will be? I think you have to say that there will be the possibility that that could happen. And I think that's where UEFA, the role of UEFA and FIFA becomes fundamental. Um, you know, if, it, if it's clear, and, and players aren't going to walk off because of racist um, chance lightly. <laughs> That's a very big step to take, um, and mm. we've seen, you know, the troubles that some players have faced, particularly in Italy, having walked off the pitch and, and not even get, getting the support of their own clubs. Um, so, if it happens, I think UEFA are, are we require UEFA to support the players walking off and not allow um, even the possibility of opposition supporters to use it strategically. Um, for want of a better word, but I mean, I, Johnny, you're, you talk about the players and, and the support they have from Southgate. What's the football associations, the English football associations' position on this? Are they equally as supportive, or are they somewhat more concerned about the potential repercussions? No, of I, a walk I think off? That, no, I, th- I think they would be extremely supportive. I think they would be, you know, the, the, I mean, the FA have, have, have just rolled out a. Um, you know, a programme to to promote black coaching talent. Chris Powell's with the squad at the moment, and and there's there's Michael Johnson's with the under twenty ones, and I think they 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 want to be leaders um, in combating institutional racism and combating lack of opportunities for for black coaches, and and at the forefront of all of this. And I think they would be pretty supportive. Um, I think they would welcome it. Um, it, it, it it's it's you as you mentioned, Duncan. It's it, it's it's the UEFA response that's the unknown quantity. It's how how strong would they be? How effective would they be um, if their own protocols were, were used? And we just don't know, do we? Well, it's a shame that we're talking about this, as um, we'd all agree, um, because racism is something which should not be um, a part of football in 2019. But unfortunately, it is. And uh, it remains to be seen how things pan out over the next three or four days for England I'd like to ask Johnny though someone who is very close to Leicester City Football Club who um, wrote a book about a brilliant book and if any of you haven't read it you should read it um, Fearless uh, which uh, was about their championship winning season and a club Johnny who are coming back into um, the reckoning with regards to uh, making a fist of it in terms of a challenge in the top four and um, under Brendan Rogers, they seem to have progressed um, James Madison is a um, talisman if you like who has unfortunately um, withdrawn from the England squad uh, for this particular two matches but someone who I think is you'd agree um, someone who has been spearheading um, mm. this renaissance uh, under Brendan Rodgers as well. I mean, I, I, the question's quite simple. 
I mean, how far can they go? Are, are they really going to be top four contenders? I think they very much are. Um, the, 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 the caveat is I worry about the goal scoring and, and they are very reliant on Vardy. But they've been that way for a long time, of course, probably won the title being reliant on Vardy. But um, that, that's the caveat. But across the pitch, they've got talent. Um, they've, they've still got the, the nucleus, a very, very strong dressing room that, that you know, not only won the title, but the thing that, the thing that strikes me about Leicester is that you know, we've been talking about Manchester United and their poor attempts to manage transition post-Fergie and other big clubs have struggled with transition. I mean, if there's one club that, 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 that gives a lesson to everyone, it's, it's, it's Leicester. You know, they've, they've, they've coped with the aftermath of winning the title. You know, what that existential problem, what do you do after the miracle? They've, 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 they've found their way through that. They've lost their spiritual father and, in, in Kun Vishai um, nearly a year ago. You know, they've, they've been through managers. They've lost two, they lost two player of the years in, in consecutive seasons in Kante and, and Mares. They lost Harry Maguire in the summer and they keep coming back and it's because of a extremely strong dressing room. It's because of stable values and it's because of brilliant recruitment. And you mentioned Madison, typical of what Leicester have been able to do in, in, in recent windows where they've, they've gone for a young talent that, Others have looked at, but maybe haven't quite been willing to take the plunge. And and they've done it. They've done it first. They've done it early. And they've probably done it at prices that raised eyebrows at the time. And then very, very quickly, everyone agreed with a bargain. You know, Madison, Ricardo, Harry Maguire himself, Tielemans. Um, you know, there's been some there's been some top notch recruiting there. And I think what 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 strikes you about Leicester is that you know They've they've managed to make a legacy of the title win, you know. They've managed to be in the position now where something um, something lasting is is there. They, you know, they 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 are top four contenders, and they're going to be with that young squad and, and Brendan. They they they're going to be in the higher echelons for the next few years, as far as I can see. And that's before the training ground comes on stream and you know further improvements to the squad because they've got money. Um, you know, they're slowly inching towards being a, a, a proper force, um, doing better at that than Everton have done, for example. They're trying to do the same thing. Duncan, I know this is a really difficult question for you to answer, but I do have to ask it. And that is, is James Madison as good as James Milner? <laughs> <laughs> as good at what, in particular? Everything. <laughs> Um, would be a harder one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anyone can be as good as Jimmy Milner in your eyes, but um, that wasn't my question. My I'm eyes, are, you, my eyes. I'm asking quite, for your objective opinion. My object- is James Madison as good as Jimmy Milner? Because, quite frankly, you know, um, he's probably not as good at penalties as James Milner, and he's probably not as good at um, crocking opposition players as James Milner. But um, I think probably better in, in some other areas. But Johnny, Johnny, you mentioned um, Harry Maguire. There must be uh, some very happy people at Leicester uh, at the outcome of that transfer, taking a, a world record fee for Maguire, um, promoting Kagler Soinchu into the into the defence who they bought a year ago in quite a 
a visionary purchase as a player who's very highly rated um, by people I trust in the transfer market when they when they secured them and and arguably improving their defence while taking uh, to eighty five million pounds from Manchester United. Yeah, he's been a revelation, and Leicester fans are they've really fallen for him. You know, they, 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 there is a bit of a kind of Harry Hoof sort of feeling. Um, <laughs> they're, they're very pleased with themselves because at the same time they've of course bought Benkovic who isn't mm. quite ready yet but they've got high hopes for did very well for Celtic and the signing of Johnny Evans for a couple of million quid is is being seen you know within the club as one of the steals of the century and and he's fundamental to Brendan Rodgers in the you know for his influence for his reading of the game and for being the kind of older head that the younger kids need so they're yes they're very smug about about all of those and and, and you know so soon choose um is really looking the part, has to be said, and and um, yeah, another another young target who maybe others looked at didn't quite go for or weren't you know were thinking about going for unless they got in there. Johnny Evans, Johnny Evans, the man that Ed Woodward sold to West Bromwich <laughs> Albion um, while handing out new contracts to Phil Jones and Chris Smalling and Marcus Rojo. And Marcus Rojo, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you both on the spot now. Duncan, um, I know you're not a big fan of Brendan Rodgers per se, but I would like to ask you if Leicester City will finish in the top four or even top six. Uh, I think they'll definitely finish in the top six. And, oh, uh, and I think they've got a, a very realistic chance of, of finishing the top four given where the other contenders are at the moment. Manchester United self-destructing, Pochettino at war with a lot of people at Tottenham. Um, Arsenal still trying to find their way and and Chelsea obviously dependent on on young players. Johnny? Yeah, I'd go along with that. I I I I think I'd my money would be on top six. The lack of the slight lack of goals maybe makes me think top four might just be beyond them. Um but as Duncan said, you can make arguments against the other contenders too, couldn't you? So so why not? You've just got, you've just got to be worried about whether Colin Rooney uh, managed to take um, Jamie Vardy out of, of, uh, of, his, of his scoring run in some, some uh, subtle <laughs> Inspector Clouseau type fashion. I'm glad you mentioned that, Duncan, because um, I would have preferred to do the quick fire round um, on today's podcast uh, based on our best wag stories. Um, and, and I know that we would all have very good ones to tell. However, I fear that if we did that, our Instagram accounts might be hacked and the sun might be looking at us in a suspicious way. Um, so I'm not going to ask um, for best wag stories. Instead, I'm going to keep it strictly football and say to you and Johnny, in this round of... Uh, the belated or certainly latter stages of the um, European Championship qualifiers, who will be the semi-finalists? And, well, if you want to give me a winner, that'd be great as well, because we can then obviously advise our listeners as to um, to bet on. But if you give us the four semi-finalists, that would be um, fantastic. And we can obviously come back once those um, positions are um, confirmed and uh, 
well, decide basically whether or not you were right or not. So go on, Duncan, you're first. Um, for four, four semi-finalists. Um, four semi-finalists. Portugal, um, I think. Portugal. Incred- incredibly strong. Um, obviously, the holders. And uh, I think building a team that they feel can can uh, potentially win the World Cup um, in three years' time. So you, I don't think you can look past Belgium. Um, and the, uh, the interesting thing will be to see whether Belgium can finally turn that talent into a winning squad. I think because it's at home, I will have England in the last four. And Controversial. And then um, if France don't get to um, the last four, it's because they have um, uh, kicked themselves in the balls again, which is something they're quite good at doing, um, as we said. <laughs> well, Zidane could certainly do that, that's for sure. Um, Johnny? Oh dear, I, I, I think I'm going to... Those are exactly the four that I had in mind. Um, I would say that Portugal and Belgium are the best teams at the moment. Um, I think Portugal are very underestimated in in England. Certainly, there was sort of even when they won the Nations League, there was a kind of you know lack of appreciation for it, a bit of a, a sort of um, oh well, it was just because they were at home. No, they were really really good. And as Duncan said, they're building and they've they, they've they've got they've got real quality in the younger players, and they've still got Cristiano, of course. Um, uh, and and Bel- you know Belgium should win it. Because they 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 do have the talent to blow everyone else out of the water. Um, France should should not really be any worse than they were at the World Cup. You know, should be at the same level, but but they you know it's been an odd journey for them since. And history tells us England are going to do well at home, and, and I would I would say them if it's not going to be them. Um, I I find the Dutch fascinating because despite mm. the, the obvious flaws in the team, they've just got a great thing going. They've got an absolutely Great vibe about them, fueled by that young Ajax core, and um, and they are the team that you really wouldn't want to to play. I think they could they could take anyone, but I, I'll go with the same four as Duncan. I think if I had to bet, well, you already have first. If you want to put your bets on, you can um, claim your losses against both Johnny <laughs> and Duncan when uh, when Germany as win as good, as good Scotsmen. <laughs> They will surely be up for um, refunding your bets. Um, Italy, for me, has to be an outside bet. They are unbeaten in their um, uh, qualifications so far. I think they may be dark horses. Uh, and I agree with Johnny in terms of Holland being uh, a team that has to be reckoned with with regards to um, the possibility of winning the European Championships. Um, I've got to say thank you to both Duncan and Johnny for uh, joining us on the this Transfer Window podcast. Um, we have, of course, because it's Friday's podcast, the quickfire round, and they've given us their four teams that they will be backing. I just want to ask them one, one last question because I cannot, can, cannot, cannot resist it. Rebecca or Colleen, who's going to win? <laughs> I, I I go with Colleen. I think she uh, she has the she has the track record in history in these uh, in these departments, and uh, and probably still has considerably more clout than uh, than Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, can I draw we, you on this? 
Are we talking about in the ring or what? I mean, she's coming well, from a formidable boxing family. If you want to talk about the ring, that's up to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, as I say, she's from great fighting stock, very good boxers, the McLaughlins. Um, but uh, I think she's she's used all her experience to run rings around Rebecca and uh, I, I think just wins on every score for me. So uh, well, there you go. Magnificent. So, Scotia <laughs> wins. As I think if, if, uh, if Mrs. Vardy goes missing, strangely, in the next few weeks, we should, um, we should send a search party out to a certain squirrel sanctuary, see if we can find it. <laughs> Will there be girl squirrels there, Duncan, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. Thank you both for uh, joining us on the Transfer Window podcast. If you want to continue... Uh, the debate with us, which I'm sure you will, especially on the um, women's squirrel thing, um, then please do. It's at is J underscore Northcroft. Is that correct, Johnny? No, no, just all one word, just J Northcroft. J Northcroft. And at Duncan Castle, and of course, I am at the obscure at Garbo SJ and uh, at Transfer Podcast for our normal um, Twitter handle. Uh, Please give us a five-star review, as we always ask you to, um, on iTunes, and that will help us create a bigger audience for everything that we want to discuss on the Transfer Window podcast. Um, As for um, today, we uh, thank you for listening this week, and we'll be back with you on Monday. Until then, we'll see you through the Transfer Window. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 